Bibles open to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, we continue our series of messages that we've entitled Rooted and Grounded. Rooted in the love of Christ, grounded for the Christian life. And remember what we said, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is all about being rooted in the love of Christ. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are all about being grounded in the Christian life. And we said that in order for us to be grounded in the Christian life, you must be rooted in the love of Christ. In other words, in order for us to achieve Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, how it is that we're to experience and live the Christian life, uh, be a Christian husband, be a Christian wife, be a Christian uh, child, to, to, to be a, a, a worker in the field, in order for us to be able to be grounded in the Christian life, we must first be rooted in the love of Christ. So in order for us to live our life, we must find our life first in the love of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to be talking about relationship. We're going to be talking about the glorious relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, in, in witnessing and sharing my faith with, with others of, of other denominations, of other religious beliefs, one of the things that, that I, I hear people say a lot is, how do you have a relationship with God? How do you have a relationship with Jesus? How is that even possible? And so many, uh, so, so many people who even claim to be Christian have no concept of what it means to have a relationship with God. But still yet, the Bible teaches this over and over and over again. And we understand that in order for a person to go to heaven, we must have a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Please stand in the honor of reading God's Word, Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse number 15. I'm reading from the ESV, that's the English Standard Version, but you follow along in your translation as I read from mine. Ephesians 1, 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name, and his name, that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, Father, I ask that you will open our hearts and that we may hear from you today. Father, draw us closer to you. We ask this in Christ's name and God's people said, please be seated. Ephesians chapter 1. As we talk about this glorious, this glorious relationship, this growing relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, I, I came across a quote from a man who I never had the privilege of knowing, but a man who influenced my spiritual walk probably more than any other human being, and he did it through uh, what he had written and what he had done. His name is Bill Bright. Bill Bright wrote this. He said, how you view God in your involvement in life touches every facet of who you are. Everything about your life, your desires, your motives, your attitudes, your words and actions are all influenced by your perception of God. Everything in who we are, from our relationships on down, everything is influenced by God. 
who God is and how we understand Him indeed will impact how we understand God and, and how we live our life. Now, most people believe in God. Ten years ago, I could stand behind this pulpit and say that over 90% of Americans believed in God. But today, it's only 74%. It's gone from 90, 90, uh, mid-90s down to 74%. But still yet, we can say that the majority of Americans believe in the concept of God. They don't believe in the God of the Bible. So many believe that God is a distant deity, unapproachable. Or perhaps they, they, they view God as, as, a, as, as an old man, an old grandpa with a, a, a long beard, and he's somewhere out there, and he checks in and, and out on us from a bit of a time. Others have downsized God. They've downsized the deity, and, and so that he would be small, and he could be manageable, and, and so we throw out this word God, and, and so that we could control our own God. But when we do this, when we diminish God, when we downsize God, when we see Him as a, a distant, faraway being, we miss the greatness and the grandeur of, of who God is. This verse, these verses, these, this pericope of Scripture, these, these verses of Scripture, this, this context of thought is all about, it's a prayer of Paul. And Paul is praying, and, and this is also your pastor's prayer, and should be the believer's prayer, that, that we would all pursue him in life, that we would all pursue a deeper relationship with God through our life, that every ounce and every fiber of who we are would pursue this relationship with God. Now, we understand that in order to be, a, to be saved, to be a Christian, we must have a relationship with God. Think about this. Remember what we've said, God is holy. Holy, 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 the, the hymn that we sing. Holy, holy, holy is God. That means he's set apart from sin. In fact, that means that God is so holy, he cannot look at sin. Now, the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, here's the human problem. Here's the enigma. Here's the question. How can holy God, who cannot look at evil, who cannot look at sin, but still yet has this desire to have a relationship with us, and while we're still sinners, he desires this relationship with us? How is that possible? How is it possible? Well, as we said last week, we can't do any better. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And, and we also said that God is not going to dumb down uh, his requirements. So what's left? We're in need, in need of a Savior. And so God sent his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, into the world. And when you have a relationship with Jesus, it's at that point now that you have this, this desire and you can have this growing relationship with God. You're promised the gift of heaven. You're promised eternal life. You're pl- promised the blessings of God. You're promised His will. And so we have all of this and we understand this. And so we understand, first of all, to get into the relationship, there is a requirement. But also, once you get into the relationship, Your relationship can either grow or your relationship can be stagnant. And Paul's prayer here is for the Christian. Paul's prayer here in Ephesians 1, the verses we just read, is his desire for the Christian to grow in their relationship with him. There are several things we see about this relationship. Number one, it's a personal relationship. Notice what Paul is praying here. That we would understand that God is not a God who is out there somewhere in the heavens. 
that God is not dumbed down, that God is not small, that, that God is not contained in the box in which we have created. But by faith, think about this. God is pretty big, isn't he? God created, if, if God created the heavens and the earth, that means he must be bigger than the heavens and the earth. God is pretty big. But I want you to think about this. As big and as grandeur as God is, he comes and he lives inside the heart of every one of his believers. That blows my mind. How in the world can this great God come and, and come and live in the world that cannot contain him, but yet in our own spirits, we have him? It's incredible, isn't it? We've all heard it said, perhaps, that so many people are, are missing a relationship with God because of 18 inches. That's the distance from the head to the heart. The Scripture is telling us that, that to know God is not simply to know about God. To, to know God doesn't simply mean that, that you know others or that, that, that know God or even that you know the Bible. You understand that you can know the Word of God and not know the God of the Word. You can have this book memorized and still completely miss the author. That's what the Pharisees did, right? Jesus standing in that temple mount teaching and the Pharisees and his disciples were around and, and he looked up to the Mount of Olives, which even today, when you look at the Mount of Olives, you see uh, these white tombs, these, these white, uh, the, 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 the whitewashed tombs. And he said, these Pharisees. These believers in the Bible, they know the, they know the word backward and forward. He said these Pharisees, they're like these, these tombs. They're whitewashed, they're beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. You can know all that there is to know about God, but still yet completely miss Him. It's not about having book smarts of God. It's about having a heart knowledge, a, a relationship with Him. Keep your, keep your finger there in Ephesians. I want you to turn over to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9. I want to show you something here about this relationship and what God... These are two of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. To know God personally, to know God intimately. This is what God has all, this is not something new. This is not something that came with the New Testament, the New Covenant. This is what God has always desired for his followers, his children to do. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and he what? knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. I'm here to tell you that the greatest relationship this side of eternity is your relationship with God. No human relationship can compare with the intimacy with God, intimacy with the Almighty. It's a personal relationship. So don't settle for a, 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 a shallow, superficial relationship with God. You see, God is not a casual friend. He's not a casual friend that we see just once a week or once a month. 
No, God desires fellowship with all of us all the time. Therefore, we're to open the eyes of our heart and and that we might see Him, that we might know Him, that we might understand Him. You see, there's so much to know. There's so much more to grasp and, and to explore of the greatness of our God, His love, His grace, His power, to know God personally. You say, how, how in the world can I know God personally? Well, I developed an acrostic that I hope that will help you. Remember what we said at the onset of this message. In order to have a relationship, think about any relationship you have in life. There was always a beginning point to that relationship, wasn't there? There was always a time when there was not a relationship, and then there was a time when that relationship began. That's the same way with God. I hear people say all the time, well, I, I've always been a Christian. I, I, I've always known God. God has always known me. Well, you got one thing right. God has always known you, but you've not always known God. In order to know God, you must have a relationship with him. Relationship is a two-way street, right? If, if all you do... If all you do is say, well, I, I, I've always known God. I was raised in a Christian home. Remember what the preacher always says. Just because you can climb a tree doesn't make you a monkey. Remember? Just because you stand in a garage does not make you a car. Just because you were raised in a Christian home or even claim to be Christian or even read this book or belong to a church or, or give to a church or, or you call yourself, none of that matters. That doesn't get us into a relation. Every relationship has a beginning point. When did your relationship with God begin? When did it start? Mine started at the age of 17. Well, I understood that I was in need of a Savior, that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I repented of my sins, invited Christ to be Lord and Savior of my life. And at that moment, the relationship with God started for me. What's your story? When did your relationship with God begin? Don't give me the old adage, well, I've always had a relationship. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. So when did your relationship begin? And then when you come into that relationship with God, understand this, that when you come into your relationship with God, you have a choice. You can either either allow your relationship with Him to grow or you can allow your relationship with Him to be stagnant. Married people that's in the room, If you never talk with your spouse, what kind of relationship are you going to have? If you never go out, if you never talk, if you never get together, if you don't ever look at one another, what kind of relationship are you going to have with your spouse? Not a very good one. The same way that that within a, a dysfunctional marriage, there can be a dysfunctional relationship between you and God. And this I, I find so often within the Christian faith, within the Christian walk and the Christian life. So many Christians, they, 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 they view salvation as my get-out-of-hell-free card. That, that, oh, I'm saved, that means I get to go to heaven so I can live it up and do whatever I want to. But listen, you're missing out on the point. If God simply saved you to take you to heaven, then as soon as you were saved, he would have caught you up. He would have brought you up. You would have already been there. But listen, God saved us for a much larger purpose. Heaven, yes, it's a byproduct. It's a great byproduct. It's a whole lot better than the alternative, right? But he saved us, and then he set us here for us to live our life, to live our life in his will, to live a life that where he's going to bless us, and we can also point people to Jesus. 
And so while we're living in this life, we understand that, that this relationship, I can allow my relationship to be stagnant. I can let my relationship be a one-way street where only God is the one who is concerned about uh, a deepening relationship with me. Or I can choose to allow a relationship to be a two-way street. I often say this. In relationships, if there's a person and the, the one person in the relationship gives, 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 and the other person in the relationship only receives and receives and receives and receives, one of those people in that relationship is not needed. Relationship is a two-way street. One gives, one receives. The other one who receives then gives, and the one who just gave receives. That's how relationships work, right? This is relationship 101. This is how relationships work, right? This is not a rhetorical question, right? Right, okay, we're following. Men, take notes. That means that, that when your, your wife is not the only one who should be talking at home, and you should not, you cannot count grunting in front of a television as talking. I don't care if, if your favorite football team is playing. I, I don't care. Relationships are two-way streets to know him personally. You can choose to invest in this relationship or you can choose to ignore this relationship. But if you choose to invest... I've developed this acrostic, and I believe that if you will apply this, Christian, if you will apply this to your life, it will help you to grow in your relationship with God. The P stands for pray consistently. Pray consistently. As a believer, as a follower of Christ, what we've already said, what kind of relationship, husband, do you think you're going to have with your wife if you never talk with her? Wife, if you don't ever talk with your husband except for maybe one time a week and for about an hour or so, like what we often do on Sunday mornings for about an hour or so when we talk to God, if that's how much time we talk with our spouse, what kind of relationship do you think you're going to have with your spouse? Not a very good one. You see, that's why last year we said last year was the year of the quiet time. We have a church member who is continuing to develop the SOAP uh, plan. This is to get us in the Word. This is, this is meant to get us into Scripture, studying the Word, to pray God's Word. If you don't have this month's uh, SOAP daily reading plan, it's out in the concourse, or if you have a, a smartphone, download the church app and it's right there. Every morning you can wake up and right there, right in front of you is going to be God's word that you can, you can be praying through and praying for so you can be consistent in your prayer life. The E stands for examine scripture. Examine scripture. This year is the year of scripture memory. And if you look at the worship guide today, everybody should get this week's scripture memory verse. It's the shortest verse in the whole Bible. It's two words. Jesus wept. You got it? All right, let's memorize this verse together. You ready? Let's say it with me. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus wept. Good job. Now, now we memorized this verse together. We memorized this verse together. Now you say, well, what's the big deal? Jesus wept, Jesus cried. Here's the big deal. When you hide God's word in your heart, when you examine scripture, when you place it in your heart, this is how we fight against the temptations of the devil. That's one of the reasons why we hide God's word in our heart. What did Jesus do when Satan tempted him? How did he respond? He responded with scripture. Thus says the Lord, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. The word says that man shall not live by bread alone. 
when Satan brought temptation against Jesus, Jesus responded with the word. And so how we respond to temptation, understand this. When temptation comes knocking and Satan is knocking at your door and brings temptation against you, you can say no. You don't have to file, uh, fall into the wiles of the devil. You can say no to temptation. And the easiest way I've found in my own life, when Satan comes knocking, the best way to fight temptation is with Scripture, having Scripture in your heart. God's Word is alive. God's Word, later on in the book of Ephesians, we're going to see that this is our offensive weapon. When we talk about the armor of God, all of the armor is defense, but there's only one offensive weapon, and it's the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. And so we know that in our own personal life, my own personal growth, my own personal relationship, how am I going to know God? Well, I get into His Word, and I dig into His Word. I examine the Scripture. The R is rise early. I hope you're writing these down. Rise early. To get up early. I I hear uh, Joe Boatwright, our pastor emeritus, say this so often, that he said there was a point in his life when, when he knew as, as a pastor, he said, I, I, I made it a conscious decision, a conscious effort every morning from that day until this day to wake up. He said, I, I love Joyce. I love my wife dearly. But he said, I will not talk to a, a human being until I, I get in the word first. Until I talk with God, I'm not talking to anybody. And he said, I, I rise early. You say, well, I, I, I can't, I can't get up early enough. All you have to do is call an alarm clock. You set it an hour earlier than what you normally do. I hear people, I hear Christians say all the time, I don't have time to do this. Wait a minute. You have time to watch the football game. You have time to make your coffee. You have time to read the newspaper or the Drudge Report or whatever it is you're you're reading. You have time to to read Fox, watch Fox News. You've got time. You've got time to do the things you want to do, but you don't have time to do the things that you need to do. I find myself doing this a lot. I know I need to go to the gym, but I don't want to go to the gym. I was at the gym last night, and I'm working on the treadmill. I'm sweating. I'm trying to be trying to do good. And, and I got a phone call from one of our deacons and said, Pastor, I'm at your house, and I've got a whole big bunch of fried shrimp ready to give to you. I said, Glory, take me home. I got off that treadmill, I went home, and I ate all that fried shrimp. All the calories I burned just went back. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. They say they've got to keep those Baptist preachers healthy, right? Isn't that right? <laughs> what were we talking about? Rising early. <laughs> Let's get back to God's Word here. Rise early. Let me give you some scriptures. Mark 1, 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desert place, and there he prayed. Jesus rose up early, and, and he prayed early in the morning. Psalm 119, 148. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. You know, a lot of Christians don't realize that 5 o'clock happens twice on the clock. There is a 5 a.m., We all know there's a 5 p.m., but very few of us see 5 a.m. If you're struggling with your personal walk and you're you're, you're needing to be in God's Word, wake up a few minutes earlier. That means you may have to go to bed a few minutes earlier as well. But wake up and start your morning. I don't know what better way to start your morning than to start your morning with the Lord. 
the S is sing often. You know, when I find myself in my quiet time, in my personal quiet time with the Lord, when I have the Bible open and I'm reading Scripture, sometimes I, I, I'm reading and, and my mind starts getting focused on other things. And I start finding myself as I'm reading Scripture, I, I find myself that all I'm doing is, is reading and I'm not, I'm not getting anything. You, you know what I'm talking about? I, I'm reading, but it's not registering. My, my mind begins to wonder. My mind begins to think about the calendar for the day. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. We need to do this with the kids. I, you know, we, we, we need to do all these things. And so what happened, what I found in my own life when that happens is I simply close the Bible and I get out either the Baptist hymnal or I get out a, a, a praise chorus or a praise sheet, some songs that I like, and I just start singing. Now you say, I can't say, I can't sing either, but the Bible says you don't have to make a beautiful sound. You just have to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And what I found is this, that in worship and singing of worship, whether it's hymns or whether it's worship songs, in those moments, there's a God uses music to to bring our focus back to where our heart needs to be. And so when I when I close the Bible and I begin to just close my eyes and and sing, uh, I, I worship, I, I praise God through song. When I open the Bible back up, now my attention is focused again where it needs to be, and I begin to read again and start getting something out of it, growing in our our personal relationship, O, is offering. You know you can't come to a Baptist church without the preacher talking about offerings, right? That was a joke. You can laugh. We're not going to pass the plate again. Offering. You know, I, I, I found this to be true, that the more I give, the more he blesses me with it. I'm not talking just about money here. I'm talking about with my life, with my time, you know, I, 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 I've noticed that with God, as I bring an offering to Him, and I do it in the right heart, you know, you can give, you can give a million dollars, but on the wrong heart and the wrong spirit, God doesn't see that as worship. God doesn't, God doesn't bless that. But you can give one dollar, you can give, you can give ten minutes of your time, you, you, you can take this, and if you do it with a joyful heart, a joyful spirit, the right motivation, and this is an act of worship, it doesn't matter the amount. What matters is the heart. And as we give to the Lord out of our heart, out of the abundance, out of the overflow, God does something. God blesses those who give. It's better to give than it is to receive. That's the motto of the Christian life. Christians, if, if anyone is to be a giver, it's a Christian, right? We are to be givers, not receivers, not consumers. James said, you hear the word, but I'm glad you hear the word, but now go and do the word, give the word, share the word. And so we, we understand that in my personal, if my personal relationship, God is not going to bless me if, if, if all I do is say, no, this is mine. This is mine. I'm not giving this. This is mine. God's not going to bless that type of heart. He's not going to bless that kind of attitude. And so in my own personal walk, when I, when I learn to be a giver, my relationship with Him grows. My relationship with Him grows. The N stands for newness. We've, we've talked about this already. Just, just 
in, in your personal quiet time, shake things up, do things a little different. This is what you do in, in, in your own relationships, right? You don't let your relationships become stagnant, but, but you date your wife, you date your husband, you, 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 you learn things, you learn new things about them, you talk to them about their day, you, you, you learn new things and you discover new things. It's just there's a newness about it. The A, this is very important, ask and accept forgiveness. Ask and accept forgiveness. For the believer, it, 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 we, under, we have to understand that when I repent of my sins, that's not just once for all, right? When I repent of my sins, when I first was saved, that covered me, yes. My sins were forgiven. I came into relationship with Jesus. I'm a new believer. I, I have a relationship with God now because I repented of my sins. But understand, I have to repent again. You, you know that, right? You, you, you can't just say, God, forgive me, and, and then you live your life. Now, you can do that, and let me show you what happens. When you pray and invite Christ into your life, when you repent, he comes in. Uh, you say, God, I'm sorry. Come into my life and save me. He comes in and saves you. The next day when you sin, that does not mean you lose your salvation. That doesn't mean that you have to repent in order to get saved again. No, we dealt with that last week, remember? Once the Spirit comes in, He seals you. You're there. You're His. You're His child. You cannot lose your salvation. But what happens when a believer sins, when, when we as followers of Christ, when we sin, when, when, we're, when we're living right, we're in the will of God. But when I sin, I step outside of the will of God. And the only way to get back into the will of God, which also means to get back in the blessings of God, is to confess my sin, to repent of my sin. If I am living in disobedience to God, God is not going to bless me. The only place where it's safe for the Christian is in his will. Have you ever noticed that it's in the Bible, going back to the, the money aspect, going back to money, did you know that money is talked more about in the Bible than heaven and hell? Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell. You know why I believe that is? Because so many of us, we, we, we make money our God. We do. Think about it. It's the human struggle. When the Jews came out of bondage of Egypt... Moses went up on the mountain. While Moses was up on the mountain, just a few days after they saw the Red Sea parted, just a few days after they, they, they saw God work in a miraculous way, all of these things, when Moses went up on top of that mountain to discuss and talk with God, what were the children of Israel doing? They were fashioning a, what kind of calf? Golden calf. Made it out of money. They worship money. They worship gold. Gold became their God. That's why the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, he said, what must a man do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you've got to give it all away because money's your God. God is a jealous God. God will not take second place to money, to another person, to a child, to a spouse, to a job, to fame. God will not take second place. And let me also say this. Isn't it interesting, Christian, that sometimes when we put other things before God, how often is it in our own life God does something to take that thing away? To strip down those high places that we set up. So I warn you. It's not wrong, it's not a sin to be wealthy. But if your wealth has become your God, you can wake up one day and lose it all. 
That's how God works. God is a jealous God. And when we, when we sin, we ask for forgiveness. Now, the hard part is to accept that forgiveness, isn't it? The hard part is to accept that forgiveness because we live in the human realm. We know that when somebody hurts me bad enough that they have to come and ask for forgiveness, that I can forgive them, but I cannot forget what happened. And we, we view God the same way, that, that when we come and we, let's say we sin, we, we sin morally, a, a big sin, something major, something that affects our life, something life-altering. As we're walking through life, we confess that sin. God, forgive me for that. The Bible says that he forgives us. Months down the road, Satan comes back and he reminds us of that sin. We, we start getting in the wheelhouse. We start working. We start working with God. And, and all of a sudden, we're reminded of that past sin. And we start saying, I, I can't do this. I'm no good. There's no way that God can use me because of look at what I've done. Listen, that's not the voice of God. That's the voice of Satan. Satan is the great liar. Satan is the great deceiver. Why would he do that? Why would Satan continue to bring up your past failures that have already been forgiven? Because if he can get you focused on your failures, you're not going to be seeing the future God has for you. And as a believer, listen, listen to me. If you focus in on those failures that have already been washed in the blood, you've already confessed those sins, and God says you are completely forgiven, when you come back to that and say, oh, God, forgive me, and you say, I- I've prayed, preacher, I've prayed a thousand times that God will forgive me. Listen to me. All you have to do is pray one time for God to forgive you. You can thank him 999 other times for forgiving you. But when you come to him and you say, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. And you keep saying, God, forgive me. What are you saying? You're saying, I don't trust God. So you're pulling yourself, even in that, even in that, you're pulling yourself out of God's will because you're living in sin. Because you're not trusting that God can and has forgiven you. Ask for forgiveness. Accept his forgiveness. And you can now walk in a personal in this personal relationship with him, finally the L, and that's love him. That's pretty straightforward to love him. All of that is just point one of the sermon today, and I'm looking at the time, and so we're gonna we're gonna push push forward. Uh, let's go into the second relationship, the second aspect of the relationship. Not only is it a personal relationship, but number two, it's a permanent relationship. Ephesians chapter one verse eighteen talks about this: a permanent relationship. God is not someone who checks in and out at 12 noon on Sunday morning. But rather, it's forever. It lasts. We have a calling that is destined for glory, a relationship that cannot be broken. It's forever. Paul said in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither uh, death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor death, or anything else created shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And the Bible is described as a blessed hope, the ultimate hope, our only hope. If you remember a few weeks ago, we discussed biblical hope, and we said biblical hope is not wishful thinking, but rather it's a confident expectation. It's being certain of, of, of our future, that we know that God is in control, that God has destined our future. My hope is in Him. Number three, we have a profitable relationship. Again, this is Ephesians 1.18. 
It talks about the, the riches of his inheritance. Look at it. That you may know what is the hope to him who has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, there's a great debate. You can read volumes and volumes and volumes of commentaries to try to understand what he's talking about, the the inheritance of the saints, inheritance in the saints. You can read commentaries. You can see so many different views about what people say about inheritance in the saints. What does that mean? But I believe that it's pretty straightforward about what he's saying here. I believe it's straightforward. The riches of his glory. This is speaking to the fact of what the inheritance we have in Him, what we have received, what He has given to us. Imagine you woke up one morning and you received a certified letter in the mail. And you had no idea that you were related in your, your, to, to a man who was your long-lost uncle and his name was Bill Gates. That changes everything, doesn't it? Your inheritance just went through the roof. But you know, whatever that inheritance might be, it cannot compare to the inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ, the wealth that we have in Jesus. You know, it's been said that wealth can buy happiness. Physical wealth, material wealth can buy happiness, but it cannot buy peace. It can buy you a bed, but it cannot buy you sleep. Money can purchase medicine, but it cannot purchase health. Money can give you entertainment and pleasure, but it cannot give you contentment and peace. You see, knowing God provides, this is your inheritance, Ephesians 1.18. This is your inheritance. He has given to you, Christian, peace. He's given to you mercy. He's given to you grace. He's, he's given to you joy. In those moments in life when all you can do is weep, but still yet in your heart, your heart is full of joy. That's the inheritance He has given to you. That's the grace He has given to you. The peace that comes through, even through the storms of life. We have eternal life. We have the gift of His Spirit. We're abundantly blessed. Finally, we see this relationship is powerful. It's a powerful relationship. He says in Ephesians 1, 19 through 20 about the, the, the power, uh, on into through verse 23, he talks about the powerful relationship. You see, don't say that you cannot face the challenges of life. Don't you tell me, Christian, that I I, I just can't wake up tomorrow. Don't you tell me that. Because as you serve God effectively, he, He gives you, He gives you the power. Don't say you can't because God says you can. In fact, He says, I'm never going to put more on you than what you can handle. Now, you may feel like you're at your breaking point. But God knows exactly how much you can take, how much you can withstand. What would you say is the greatest power in the universe? What would you think? I would say that some would say, well, it's the power of creation, Genesis chapter 1. When you go to Genesis chapter 1, God created everything that we see. How did he create things? By his word. God spoke it into existence. God was so powerful. God is so powerful. All he has to do is say it, and it was so. But I would submit to you that that's the second greatest power that we find in Scripture. You know what the first greatest power found in Scripture is? The power of the resurrection. God takes, God defies a law that He created. 
a law that says when you die, you don't come back to life. That's a law that we pretty much know, right? That, that when this old ticker quits ticking, it ain't going to start ticking again. But we find in Scripture that God steps over that law. God steps over this law and He provides the power of the resurrection to the point to where Jesus was in the grave for three days. His ticker had quit ticking for three days. And God breathed life into him, the power of the resurrection, and Jesus rose. That's powerful. What are you facing in life right now? Think about the problems you have in your life right now, whether they're money problems, family problems, marriage problems, job problems, health problems, parent problems, grandparent problems, kid problems. Think of your problems. What problems do you have? And and you face those problems and you say, these are insurmountable odds. There's no possible way that, that any of this is going to turn out for good. Think about this. Think about the power that lies with God. If God is powerful enough to take a person who was dead for three days and give him the power to raise to life, do you not think that God can speak into your very problem right now? Yes. Yes, he can. And yes, he brings with him the power of the resurrection. He can take those things that look like they're dead, that they're gone, and he can make them alive. He can change the whole outcome. He is the risen redeemer. I want to close with this. Billy Graham, a a man that, that has, just like with Bill Bright, who has meant so much to me. Billy Graham once said, he said, you know, the world has never seen a person who is completely sold out to the Lord. The world has yet to see the impact of what would happen if a man or a woman or a student who truly understood and had this relationship with God and they lived their life to the the, the, the best, completely sold out to Him. This world has yet to see. This is a man who has seen millions of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he said himself that this world has never seen a man, a woman, a student, a boy or a girl who's completely sold out. The world has never seen what God could do through a person who's completely sold out for him. You say, well, I can't be me, preacher. I'm just eight years old. I'm just a kid. Think about what God did with that little boy that brought that lunch to Jesus that day with just a few pieces of fish and a few pieces of bread, how God multiplied it and fed 5,000 men, over 20,000 people that day, just making himself available. Say, preacher, that can't be me. Billy Graham could not have been talking about me because I'm well past that. I'm a very seasoned Christian. I'm, I'm past my age. Have you ever read your Bible and seen how God used the senior saints? Abraham was no spring chicken when Isaac was born, nor was Sarah. You know what that tells me? You know what that tells me? 
that it doesn't matter if you're eight years old or you're 88 years old. If you give your life to the Lord, he can use you in powerful ways. That when you completely and utterly sell yourself out to him, you hold nothing back. But when you sell yourself out to him, God will take you right where you are. He will use you. He will mold you. He will shape you. He will conform you. And he will use you to impact this world in a great and powerful way.